If you have a Bible, go ahead and, and take it and turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 24 through 28 of, of Luke chapter 11. That's just just five short verses, um, but I think there's a powerful principle that we're going to learn from these, these verses. If you can think back two weeks ago, um, two weeks ago we were in Luke 11 and we were uh, thinking about this, this instance where a demon was cast out from a man. Do you remember this? There was a mute man. And um, Jesus came and cast out a demon. You can see it there in, in Luke 11, verse 14. Now, Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. And so this is the context of what's going on here. What happens after Jesus casts this demon out is that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law come to him and they say, well, he did that by the power of Beelzebul. He did that by the power of Satan. So basically what they're doing is they are accusing Jesus of using witchcraft to cast out demons. What a crazy claim. And Jesus shows them how absurd this is. Remember that he shows them how he is in fact doing the exact opposite. That his coming into the world marks the, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God and this, this full-on war against the powers of Satan. And the question isn't, what side is Jesus on? The question is, what side are you on? Because in, in the kingdom, in the, in the battle between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God, there is no neutral ground. You can't be Switzerland. You've got to pick one side or the other. And so Jesus says, I'm on God's side. I'm fighting for the kingdom of God. Which side are you on? Neutrality is not an option. So it's in this context of explaining the, the war that's going on between good and evil, between light and darkness, between Satan and God. It's in this context that Jesus gives us a, a very deep but a very ex, an extremely practical principle about the way things work in the spiritual world. And th- this is the principle that we're just going to think on this morning. It's this, that, that the exit of evil must be followed by the entrance of good. That, that's, that's the main idea. The exit of evil, or the expulsion of evil, if you want to think about that way, the exit of evil must be followed by the entrance of good. It's really just another way of thinking about what we thought about two weeks ago, that, that there's this war between good and evil, and, and neutrality is not an option, but it gets down deep into our souls, and it says at the core of who we are, neutrality is not an option. We can't exist as morally neutral people. Our souls have to side with either good or evil. And if evil is cast out, it has to be replaced by good. And if not, well, we'll see what happens. It gets even worse. This sounds maybe sort of philosophical or or theoretical, but I promise you this is extremely practical. It's an amazingly helpful thing to know for our everyday lives, especially as we struggle as followers of Jesus to say that we are on God's side, that we plant our flag in the ground and say that our allegiance is with with Christ. Because we know that, that evil is always lurking. It's in the flesh that's inside us. Um, it's, it's in the world that surrounds us. It's in the dark powers that, that hover over us. There are so many things that are seeking to draw us away from to devotion to Christ. There are people and places and things that are seeking to pull us away from walking in the way that God would have us to walk. Remember, we read this last week. Satan is a strong man. And, and we are weak. 
And Satan is seeking to pull us into his kingdom, to, to walk in his ways. So how do we, as weak people, allow Jesus, we said last week, who is the stronger man, how do we allow Jesus to have control? How, how do we allow him to, to kill this desire for evil and for sin that is just always lurking in us? It's always there. It's always this, this low hum in us that's ready to take over. And, I, I, you know, I've, I've staked my life on the side of Jesus. I say, I'm, I'm with good. I'm with, I'm with Christ. I want to be for his kingdom. And yet I find myself so often struggling with sin. I hope I'm not the only one that's willing to admit that, that this is just a struggle of our lives. It's the battle that we have. And this principle, I think, the exit of evil must be followed by the entrance of good, is, is profoundly helpful to me, and I pray it is to you. So let's look at Luke chapter 11. And I'm going to read verses 24 through 28. This is again in the context Jesus has just passed out, or cast out. He didn't pass out. Jesus just cast out a demon. They accused him of, of, of doing it by the power of Satan. And then he says in verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And then this is a somewhat confusing passage, but let's look at it. Verse 24, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and finding none, it says... I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Let's get a basic understanding of this text first before we really try to delve in and understand this, this, this principle. So in these verses, Jesus explains to the crowd what is happening sort of in the unseen world in that very moment. He's just cast out this demon. Now he's going to describe, well, what happened when I cast that, that demon out? So the, the, the moment that demon exits the man, Jesus says it, it goes and it's wandering. It goes to waterless places, to dry, to deserted places. These harsh climates, they were, they were seen as the, the place where, where, where um, hostile, evil spirits dwelt. You can think about when Jesus is tempted by Satan. Where does it happen? It happens in the wilderness. It happens in this place where, where people are, uh, are where, where these evil spirits live. So this evil spirit is wandering in the desert, is what, is what it, the picture is. And it's looking for a place to rest. And it finds no place to rest. And so it says, well, I'm going to go back to my old house. I'm going to go to that place that I was thrown out of, to this, to this man. Now when we think about this, this, this man, he was a mess when the demon was there. I mean, everything is thrown out of order. If we imagine this man's inner life as a house, which is what Jesus is inviting us to do, imagine this inner man's life as a house, and in this house, everything is thrown out of order. But we can see tables overturned, There's the dishes are, are piled up, I mean, there's stains all over the floor, there, there's, there's mold on the walls. And, you know, this isn't just the mess that's created that, that we all have. I mean, let's all admit it, our houses are not clean right now. I mean, at least I'll admit it. You know, there's, there's mess in our house. But this is like beyond that kind of mess. For a summer, I helped a guy repossess houses. I, I've seen a messy house. I've seen what a house looks like when people really don't care anymore and they just are throwing things all over the place. That's what this house looked like when this demon lived there. And that's how the demon had left this man. 
But when the demon comes back, everything's in order. I mean, the, the houses, you know, the tables are set right and the dishes are, are, are sparkling in the cupboards. There's no piles of, of dirty laundry. I mean, everything is, is in its place. It, it looks nice. The, the picture is a, of, a, of a man who is no longer controlled by evil, but, but also is not controlled by good either. It's, it's, the, the hostile spirits are gone and things are better, but the Holy Spirit is, is not there. So it's this picture kind of of someone that we might say is, is morally neutral. He's not, he's not perfect, he's, he's not godly, but, but he's not evil either. He's, he's just kind of a decent guy. He's, you know, he's a good father, he, he works hard, he provides for his family, he's an upstanding member of society. He, he drinks, but he doesn't get drunk. He doesn't smoke, he doesn't drive, he drives the speed limit, he doesn't swear, he doesn't yell, he tucks his shirt in, flosses every night. I mean, he may be a member of the community, he may even be a member of a church. This is just a guy that's, you know, his house is in order, his life isn't marked by evil, he's, he's doing okay. Which makes me ask, is that what God wants? Is, is, is that what makes a person a Christian? Maybe this, this person, this kind of straight-laced, buttoned-up, clean-cut individual, that's, that's your understanding of what a, a Christian is. Is that what Jesus is calling you to? Is that, is that what we as a church want you to be? Are we calling you to a life of, of moral reform? It's easy to think that that's all that we need, isn't it? Or the absence of evil makes us good. We have a tendency to compare ourselves to others. Well, I don't do what that person does, and so I'm a, a decent individual. We, we look at our house and we say, well, the house is it's in order. We're doing okay. But, but the exit of evil, this idea of moral neutrality, there's no evil present, that, that can't be all that's necessary. We know that from this, from this story. Because look what happens when the demon returns. The demon comes... It says it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. So the demon says, oh, well, everything's in order. I'm not allowed to live there anymore. No, he goes and he gets seven of his friends who are even more evil than himself. And he says, look, guys, we've been wandering around in the desert long enough. I found a place where we can all stay. And they come and they indwell this guy. And it says that it gets, it's even worse. They, they enter in, they make themselves at home, it says. Um, he goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and they dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. The place is now worse than it was even before when just the one was there. Imagine that you have some neighbors that drive you crazy. Maybe that's not, doesn't take much imagination. Maybe you do have neighbors that drive you crazy. And, and one day you say to your husband or to your wife, Honey, look, there's a moving truck at their house. <laughs> They're leaving. And you get excited. That's a terrible thing, but let's just imagine that we think that way, okay? Um, and they move out. This, these neighbors that just, you felt like they were a blight on your neighborhood and you didn't like hanging out with them, and they have moved out. And you think, well, maybe we're going to get some good neighbors to move into their place. This is going to be great. Well, the house sits empty for a while. And, and it's not as bad as it was when they were there, but, you know, it's, it's okay. And then suddenly you see a moving truck there. And your old neighbor has come back. And he brought seven of his friends. <laughs> and it's going to be even worse. You thought it was bad before. Now it's, it's, it's even worse. That's kind of the, the picture here. Is you thought this was bad. 
Well, check it out now. It's, it's even more terrible. For this man, the exit of evil, the expulsion of this demon was, was not enough. Because there's something about our human nature, there's this principle in science that, that nature hates a vacuum. I guess it's been disproved in some senses. But there's an, this is true in ourselves, that human nature hates a vacuum. There is no place for neutrality in us. And that clean house represents this sort of neutrality, and that is, is not an option. If we're left neutral, if we're left empty long enough, evil is going to come back, and it's going to be even worse than it was beforehand. Again, we're thinking about this, this principle that Jesus is teaching, that, that of how things work in the spiritual world, how they, how they work in salvation, even how we grow in Christ-likeness, that the exit of evil has to be followed by the entrance of Good. This is at the core of, of our Christian faith. It's, it's, it's found both in the way that salvation works and in the way sanctification works. In, in the way that, that God saves us and in the way that we grow to look more like God. We grow in holiness. We grow in Christ-likeness. This idea is, is present there. So think with me, uh, this, the principle, the, the exit of evil must be followed by the entrance of good. Think about how that works within salvation. How has God saved us? How has God saved us? Now notice how, I, I want to ask that question in that way. Not how do you gain salvation. Not how do you clean yourself up so that God will accept you. Not how do you sweep the evil out of your soul, but rather how does God save you? Because God is the author of salvation from beginning to end. He's, he's done it. And He did it through His death and His resurrection. Jesus defeats evil and sin and death by, by dying for us. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. There is evil in us. Both, both the sin that we get from, from Adam and the sin that we commit on a daily basis. There is evil, there is sin within us. And that sin needs to be thrown out and it needs to be thrown down. And the way that Jesus accomplishes that is through his death and resurrection. He, he crushes the head of Satan through his death and his resurrection. That's how he accomplishes salvation and he kicks evil out. So he triumphs over Satan. But, but unlike this man that Jesus talks of, when, when Jesus accomplishes salvation, he doesn't then just, just do that, just kick evil, evil out and leave us empty. But, but there's this, this, the beauty of salvation, I think that we sometimes neglect to think about, is not only does he forgive us and empty us and, and, and purify us and make us his, his children, but then he gives us the Holy Spirit to indwell us. To, to change us. The exit of evil is followed by the entrance of good. The entrance not just of good, but of God himself. So, so salvation is not, is not moral reform. And it's not even just the forgiveness of sins. It is the forgiveness of sins. But it's also being filled with the Spirit. It's being controlled by God himself. It's the welcoming of Jesus, not just as the one who sweeps out evil, but the one who takes over our lives and produces good fruit in us. We thro he throws out evil, he forgives us of our sins, but then we yield our lives to God. Remember, neutrality is not 
an option. If we're true children of God, then, then we are controlled by the Spirit. We are growing in, in holiness. It's not just the exit of evil. There has to be the entrance of good through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is, in fact, the promise of the new covenant that we know so well of Ezekiel 36. Jesus predicts what's going to happen in the new covenant of Jesus. And he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. There it is, the exit of evil. But then listen to this. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. He doesn't just empty the evil. He gives us a new heart and a new spirit. He says, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, this heart that doesn't want to obey the commands of God, the exit of evil. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Friends, if you have been deceived into thinking that Christianity is some sort of moral improvement project, then let me be the bearer of good news. Jesus has not come to tell you to be better. He's actually come to throw evil out and then to replace it with the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants to transform you from the inside out. He wants to save you from your sins and then rule your life by the power of His Spirit. Salvation is not just the removal of evil. It is not simply the forgiveness of sins. It is that, but it is also the entrance of the greatest good. It is the entrance of the Spirit of God Himself. That's what will change us. There's a warning in this passage, though, that that maybe you've experienced the grace of God in some way. Even as this man who had the demon cast out of him, he experienced the grace of God in a powerful way. Maybe you've felt the blessings of of the church, or you've been around the people of God long enough to, to know the goodness of God. You've seen that. But you continue to put off the call of God to to hand your life over completely, to give Him full control, to allow the Spirit to come in, to to confess and repent of sin, and to put faith in in Christ alone. That's a dangerous place to be, because you know what you are? You're a spiritual vacuum. You're you're seeking to be morally neutral. You you want the benefits of what Christ has done, but you're not willing to bow the knee to who He is. And and the, the, the scary thing is, is you can't remain that way. In fact, if you remain that way and do not allow the Holy Spirit to come in, it's not that you're going to remain neutral. Things are going to get worse. This is the warning, actually, that, that is in, in the book of Second Peter. In Second Peter, chapter 2, this is what uh, he's talking about false teachers. And, and he says of these false teachers in verse 20 of Second Peter 2, verse 20, For if they, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So they've experienced something of the knowledge of the salvation of Christ. If, if they've experienced that, and they are again entangled in them, again entangled in these defilements of the world, and overcome, it says here, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Same thing, right? If you've experienced the grace of God in some way, maybe not in a salvific way, meaning that you are a true child of God, you've been saved, but if you've experienced that, and then you, you go back, he says the last state is worse than the first. It gets even uglier. It says, For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the proverb says has happened to them 
The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mud. Nobody wants to be that, right? Who wants to be the dog that goes back and eats its own vomit? Who wants to be the, the pig that is clean and then goes right back to the mud? And so there is something here where, where you maybe have experienced the grace of God in some way. But if you have not allowed the entrance of the Holy Spirit, if you have not allowed God to take control by bowing the knee, then, then it's a, this is a scary place because you can go back and the last state's going to become worse than the first. So I implore you to, to don't stay morally neutral. Don't just try to understand the benefits of God, but to miss this, this concept of, of bowing, of repenting of sin, of turning to God and allowing the Spirit to come in and dwell you. So this is how salvation works. It's not just the expulsion of evil, but it's the, it's the entrance of good. But it's also how sanctification works. Sanctification meaning how we grow in, in Christ's likeness. How does sanctification work? How, how do we become, how do we allow God to reign in our lives? Well, it's not simply by, by putting off sin, but it's also by putting on righteousness. It's not simply saying no to the flesh, it's also saying yes to the Spirit. It's not just emptying ourselves of the world and the flesh of the devil, but it's being filled with the Spirit. In my journey as a, as a Christian, when I think about sanctification, when I think about growth in Christ-likeness, I think I've often defined it by all the things that I don't do. That, that the fight against personal sin, my default way of thinking about that is about saying no. So don't do that, don't think that, don't say that, don't eat that, don't drink that, don't, 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 don't. That, that, that's, that's how we think about growth in Christ-likeness, is our sanctification. I defined, and I still define, my holiness by the evil that I avoid. These are all the things that I don't do, therefore I, I am holy. You can get suffocated by that. I can remember in, in high school feeling like I was drowning underneath the weight of my guilt because it was, I, I thought about all these things I knew I wasn't supposed to do, and yet I found myself doing them. I thought, I don't want to do this. And my sanctification, my growth in Christ's likeness was just, it was so disheartening and, and discouraging and joyless because it, it just felt like I was always failing because there were all these things I wasn't supposed to be doing, and then I just felt like I kept doing them. Now, I want to say there are things as Christians we're supposed to say no to. I'm not saying that that's not part of it. But in making sanctification all about the things that we say no to, if you want to become like Jesus, and all you think about are the things that you're not supposed to do, that is a, it's it's self-defeating, and it is joyless. And I think that this principle, the expulsion of evil must be followed by the, the entrance of good, solves those problems of it being self-defeating and joyless. Think about this. It's self-defeating because how long can you say no to something? If, if your only defense against sin is to say no, then you will inevitably fail eventually. So let's practice. If I tell you right now, whatever you do, don't think about a pink elephant. Okay, what are you thinking about? Everybody's thinking about a pink elephant, right? So in your fight against sin, so often we focus on the things we're not supposed to do. And if all you do is focus on the things you're not supposed to do, all you can think about are the things that you're not supposed to do. And so guess what happens? You eventually do them. 
Because that's what your mind is. But Scripture tells us to fight sin not only by saying no, but by saying yes. And as we expel evil from our lives by the power of the Spirit, we welcome good. Ephesians 4 was read earlier. It puts it in terms of putting off and putting on. So put off. It's, it's the imagery is of, of clothes. Put off the old dirty clothes. But then we don't stand there without any clothes on. <laughs> put on the good. Put on the clean clothes is what we're supposed to do. In Colossians 3, it talks about putting to death what is earthly in us and then putting on works of holiness. Galatians 5 says that, that we are to... Um, it gets right to this idea of the flesh and the spirit. It says to, to put off the deeds of the flesh and to allow the fruit of the spirit to grow in our lives. Those fleshly desires of the world and the flesh and the devil, those are, those are in us. And before Christ, we're unable to do anything about them. But Jesus hasn't left us empty and told us, now get your house in order. He's given us the spirit and said, now allow the spirit to bring out fruit in your life. We've got a small garden. Uh, imagine that I looked at this patch of weeds, and I said, well, I'm going to start a garden. And all I did was concentrate on pulling weeds. That's all I did. I just pulled weeds all day. Check out my garden. It's beautiful, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's, it's a big patch of dirt. But there's nothing growing in it, because all I'm doing is, is practicing pulling weeds. But let's say I never pull any weeds, and I just say, well, I'm just going to plant plants. And I plant those plants. But well, they're never going to blossom. They're never going to produce the fruit because the weeds are going to choke them out. The weeds are going to kill what's there. And in sanctification, if all we do is pull weeds or seek to do good, if we just do one or the other, it does not work. It's a fruitless endeavor. But if we would pull those weeds and then plant the good, the fruit of the Spirit is going to grow by the power of God in our lives. So... I think you should come back tonight, because tonight what we're going to do is we're going to go to these passages and just get in probably three groups and and go to Ephesians 4 and go to Galatians 5 and go to Colossians 3 and say, okay, what is Jesus telling us to put off, but what is he telling us to put on? And and let's think in these terms and, 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 and understand that as we expel evil, we welcome righteousness. But let me just give you a hint about how practical this is. So Ephesians 4, is, which is what Henry read for us earlier, in Ephesians 4, um, verse 22, Paul writes, he says, this is how you've been instructed, to put off your old self, which belongs, I'm sorry, I'm pointing in the wrong direction. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And then there's this middle section, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And then to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then he gives us really practical things. Let me give you one that I think is just really simple to give you the principle here. He says in verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal. Hey, guess what? You shouldn't steal. So he's telling the thief, don't do that. Stop stealing. Now, is that the only instruction that we have for the thief? No. Let the thief, let the one who stole, steal no more. So don't steal. But... Look at the second part of that verse. But rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Don't steal. If we just someone who struggles with, with stealing things all the time, if all we say is don't steal, eventually what's going to happen? They're going to go back to stealing. But if we say don't steal here, we're going to help you get a job. 
and do hard work with your hands. And then when you make money, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have you give money to other people. You're going to bless other people with the things that you have. That's, that's growth and sanctification. It's not just the no. It's the yes. And so as we fight sin in our lives, I find this so helpful, is, is that we stop and we say, okay, what am I fighting against right now? What do I need to say no to? But also, what's the contrast of that? And maybe Scripture has something very clear to say about this, that I should do in contrast to that. So that I'm not just saying no, but I'm, I'm saying yes. So let's say you struggle with greed. You're just greedy. You want to hold on to all your money. Well, you know what you need to do? You need to give some of your money away. Don't just say, I'm not going to be greedy. I'm not going to be greedy. I'm not going to be greedy. Practice generosity. Maybe you're angry all the time. You're just angry. Well, do something nice. (laughs) Practice kindness. Don't just say, I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be angry. But seek to be kind, even to the person that you're angry with. If you're lazy, don't say, I'm not going to be lazy. Do something. (laughs) Get up off your end and do something and don't be lazy. If all we do is focus on the no, we will inevitably fail. But God has given us this wonderful principle that the exit of evil has to be followed by the entrance of good. And if it doesn't happen, we're just going to keep falling back. And it's actually just going to get worse and worse in our lives. So that idea that just saying no is this, this ceaselessly saying no, it's, it's not only self-defeating, but it's, it's so joyless. It's joyless. I hate saying no. I have to say no to my kids a lot of times. I, 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 and sometimes when I get in that mode, I think, I'm just going to try, in whatever circumstances that, it, that it's possible and within reason, I'm going to just try to say yes. I'm going to try to say yes to them. I, I want to do this for you. Um, because we can get into that. But, you know, some people think that that's how God is. God's just this big guy in the sky who just wants to say no to you all the time. And if you're having fun, it probably means you shouldn't be doing whatever you're doing. That, that, that's, that's what we think about who God is. That's what we think about holiness. Well, holiness means I shouldn't be happy. And that's, if, if all we do is say no, it, we won't be happy. We will be joyless. But I think this is where verses 27 and 28 of this passage tie in. Because it says here, he's, he's, Jesus is teaching, and a woman in the crowd raises her voice and yells out, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. So she says, Blessed is your mother, Jesus. Blessed is Mary. And, and she is blessed. We, we can look back in Scripture and, and, and God pronounces blessing on Mary. I want to be very clear that, that I, I, I don't think it's in the sense of, of, of what maybe the Catholic Church lifts her up to. I, I know that that's not what he's speaking of here because he actually, he doesn't say, yeah, you're right. Let's all think about how great Mary is. Now, what does he say? He says, verse 28, but he said, but blessed rather, not, not just she's not blessed, but rather, yes, she is blessed, but even more so. The ones who are blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. He he said this earlier in chapter 8, verse 21. His family comes to him and they say, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here to see you. And what's he say? But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus, he keeps hitting on this idea of listening, hearing, and doing the word of God, doesn't he? We listen to the word of God. But what, what he's getting at here is that the remedy for this joyless Christian life, and it's, it's this, that true blessedness is found in hearing and obeying the word of God. So she pronounces this blessing on Jesus' mother, and Jesus says, yeah, she's blessed, but let me tell you who's most blessed in this life. Those who hear the word of God 
and obey it. That yielding ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit, saying no to evil and yes to God, is the source of true joy and eternal blessedness. Saying yes to godliness is not some sort of distraction technique. So I want to sin, but i got to say no to that, and I need to come up with something that gets my mind off of it. <laughs> like when you're hungry and you don't have anything to eat. Well, I better just work because I don't have anything to eat right now, and if I just do this, then I'll get my mind off the fact that I'm so hungry. That, that's not the, the idea here. Rather, we say no to evil because it's so unsatisfactory. It's, it, it, it's, it's such a waste. The, the things that we desire in our flesh, and the things that the world throws at us, and the things that Satan tempts us with, they're just fruitless. They're, they're really... The end is destruction. The end is death. And it really doesn't satisfy us. And so we say no to them because they're disgusting. Because we don't want them. There's no joy in those things that we're being called to do. And so Jesus says, say no to those things. Say yes to godliness. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to know true joy? Listen to the word of God and do what it says. That's where blessing is. If, if, if you've turned sanctification, if you've turned walking in Christ-likeness into this project of saying no to everything, that will be joyless. But if we say no to these things and then say, I say I reject that because I, I, I'm looking for something better, and the better is obeying the Word of God, walking in His ways. I will be more satisfied. I will be more blessed. I will be more happy if I do what God has told me to do. That's going to kill sin in your lives. And in my life. It's so depressing to just say no. It's so joyless. But if I say no, I don't want that. Because there's so much, something so much greater that is found in Christ. That He is where the, the true treasure of, of joy is found. Then, then we will uproot evil in our lives with joy. I don't want any weeds in my garden. I hate weeds. I want, I want to see some tomatoes and some peppers and some zucchini. I want to see these things grow. Because that's, those are enjoyable to me. Thistles are a pain. They stab me in the hand. But, but fruit, man, that is, I, I want that. So in this process, the exit of evil must be followed by the entrance of good. Don't focus on one of the, now I've, I've said that we focus often on the no. Maybe you focus more on the, on the yes. I'm just going to do all these things and not worry about the sin in my life. Well, that's a problem as, as well. But to realize this, that, that you can't be morally neutral. You can't exist in some sort of vacuum. As as a believer, if that's all we do, if we just try to stay morally neutral, we will fail every time. And I want to encourage you again, that if you've tasted of some of the fruits of the blessings of of God, but you've, you've never allowed the Spirit to come and indwell you, that's a scary place to be. It could become much worse for you if you remain in that state and you go back to where you were previously. But if you would allow the Spirit to come in, if you would bow your knee and say, God, I am a sinner. I confess I can't do anything to save myself. And I submit to you as as Lord, as King of my life, and allow Him to take control. That's true blessedness. That's where we will find the greatest joy. It's not in some sort of physical connection to Christ, even as this woman talked about. But it's, it's in those who hear the Word of God and keep it. 
So let's not be self-defeating in our sanctification. And let's not be joyless in it either. Let's find true joy in following after Christ. By throwing evil out of our lives. And, and allowing the Spirit to do the work in us. And don't fall into the trap of the Galatians. Don't begin by the Spirit and then try to be perfected by the flesh. If God is the author and the finisher of our faith, then He's, he's the one who saves us and He's the one who sanctifies us. He's the one that allows us to pull out evil and He's the, the one that causes fruit to grow in our lives. So let's yield to the Spirit who has come and indwelt us and allow Him to do His work in us.